Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It is so good to be with you today. And if you're a guest with us, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for joining us in this Christmas season and being part of the Crossbridge family today. And I want to let you know that my hope and my prayer for you is the same as it is for every person who watches with us every single week. And that's simply this. No matter where you find yourself in your faith today, I hope and I pray that you would take one step towards Jesus because that is what we are all about here at Crossbridge. And you've come at a great time because we are starting a new series called The Gift. It's a series where we look at the three gifts that were given to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we're going to unpack what each of them mean together and have a lot of fun. And this series actually comes from a church uh, called Life Church. They did this. We loved it, so we decided to take it, rework it for Crossbridge. So if you hear something that might sound familiar, that's a good reason why. And we're so thankful when churches work together. And so thank you so much for being here today. I should tell you this, and many of you know this about me. I'm not the best with gifts. Actually, I could be really bad with gifts. And my wife, Eileen, tells me all the time that when it comes to gift giving and gift receiving, which are very low on my five love languages, they're just not up there, I, I'm not the best at receiving gifts. And she tells me I'm really difficult to buy gifts for when it comes to holidays or birthdays because I actually am pretty content and just happy with what's around me. I mean, give me a, a black cup of coffee, a round of golf, and a movie sitting next to my wife or a game with my kids, and I'm on cloud nine. That's really all that I need. But when it comes to giving gifts, traditionally, I've been the type of guy who, when I get get or when I go to buy gifts, they're usually day of gifts. It's the, oh, it's your birthday? Oh, I need to go get something. Oh my gosh, Christmas is coming up. Christmas Eve, I, I got time. I could still get something today. I've never been the best at it. And so I learned though that in 2017, for me personally, everything changed when it came to giving gifts specifically to my wife. Many of you know this, but um, in 2017, I took the time and the discipline to write a journal for my wife. And she had no, that I, uh, no idea that I was doing it, but every day I would just write something new. I had our kids writing in here. We had friends and family writing in here, and she had no idea what this was. And so for 365 days, I stared at my wife and I journaled about her. Would you believe that from 2018 and on, my wife has continued to say, somehow you find the best gifts for me and I don't understand when the tables flip because she used to get the best gifts for me and now I've turned it and now I get great gifts for her. And she's like, well, how did this happen? And I realized it was right here. This is how it happened. And it simply happened because I did nothing but pay attention to my wife. I simply looked at her and it started to make sense to me that now I could buy her gifts that you wouldn't understand. You, you might look at something and say, that's the dumbest gift in the world. And there have been some gifts I've gotten her, my family, when uh, Eileen gets so excited to say, Jimmy got me this, they'll be like, that is dumb. But there's this glow across her face because we know it means something. And I've realized that truly knowing someone, learning everything that you can about them, actually makes the process of giving gifts even more fun. That when you truly know someone and know the receiver, the gifts that you give become so much more meaningful. I think that when we look 
at Matthew chapter 2, and if you would turn there with me, that'd be great. When we look at Matthew chapter 2, we see these random gifts that are given to Jesus, and the gifts don't always make that much sense because they're not things that we use regularly. And I do believe that because we don't understand who Jesus is all the time, we completely miss the value and the importance of the gifts that Jesus has given. So if you would, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew is going to be the first book in the New Testament. It's a biography about Jesus written by one of his disciples who is a tax collector, and it is amazing. This book is traditionally written and targeted at the Jewish people, and so there's some language to it that's just beautiful that many in the Jewish culture would have understood differently than everybody else, especially when it comes to the gifts that we're going to be looking at. Now, as you're turning there, really quick, in the comments, I want you to do me a favor. If you would, if you have a nativity set around you, you've grown up near a nativity set, you know, one of them little barn looking things with Jesus in there in the little manger, uh, maybe you don't have him in the manger yet or he's covered, whatever. If you look in there, traditionally, how many wise men do we normally say were in the nativity story or this story? So go ahead, just start typing that into the comments. And it's not a trick question, I promise you. And if you're at a watch party, you're at a home church or wherever you're at right now, go ahead and t start telling everybody around you how many you think are in there. Go ahead, just put it in the comments. I'm giving you a clue here. Okay, good. Most of us would always say there's three wise men that come with gifts. There's three gifts, and that's why we say there's three wise men. Now, most scholars would agree that there was probably way more than three wise men and three of these uh, super influential people because you're not going to be able to travel around in that time and that day and age with three of you. You're going to get jumped, especially if you're wealthy. Uh, you start traveling with what they're carrying, you're a goner. So you know they're going with this gaggle of people. And these, uh, these men who show up, these wise men, what we do know about them is that they are highly educated, that they are incredibly wealthy. And moving into the story, they are desperate to see a person who they believe could be the savior of the world. And so they journey up to this point and they find King Herod. And they go up to Herod and they're like, hey, listen, we know there's a king here. And he's like, oh, cool. And Herod tries to play him and try to figure out who this is so he could kill a baby and all that kind of stuff because he's the only king. And God kind of reroutes these three wise men, these magi, to Bethlehem to go see Jesus. And it's there that we pick up this story. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9, and it says this. After this interview with Herod, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, I, I don't know, for those of you who are parents out there, what types of gifts you got when your kids were born, but with all three of my kids, I'll tell you this, I never got gold, I never got frankincense, and I got, never got myrrh. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't have known what to do if I got them. I mean, maybe you sell off the gold. When we had kids, we got onesies, we got bibs, and uh, we got a mountain of diapers that I swore would last us a year. 
it lasted two weeks. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. Most of us wouldn't know what to do with these gifts because they don't quite fit the context that we live in today. And the fact is that many, many Bible scholars agree that these gifts that were given to Mary and Joseph and to Jesus were not only useful for the family, but as we go through each of these gifts individually, you are going to see that they foreshadowed who Jesus was to become. Gold. When we go over that on Christmas Eve, we'll represent the kingship of Jesus. Myrrh, we'll talk about next week. Myrrh represented Jesus as this suffering servant, the Lamb of God. And today, we unpack frankincense. We unpack frankincense. And before I tell you what frankincense represents, I feel like it's important to talk about frankincense a little bit. Now, according to my uh, essential oil advisors, which there are many at Crossbridge and all over, it feels like people always have an oil for that. Uh, what I've learned about frankincense is most of them would say that this is like the Swiss army knife of your oils. It is good for so many things. It's got a lot of purposes. Frankincense oil, it possesses antiseptic, anti-stringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and vulnerary therapeutic properties. I don't know what most of that means, but I read it, and therefore it means it must be true if it was online, right? Listen, what I know about this oil is that it is used for so many different things. And, and while I don't know about oils, I actually I know a little bit about oils because we use them in our house. I know that when someone has a stomach ache, they use peppermint, or when someone's having trouble sleeping, we use lavender, or when my wife wants to steal something, she used thieves, or something like that. Uh, you know, if, if you wanted to get this oil, to be honest with you, if you want to get frankincense oil, one of the things that you have to do is to steam distill the tree sap and the tree resin in that tree, and it just takes so much time, so much effort, so much energy, and this becomes a concentrated, valuable, valuable asset to whoever holds it. It was very, very expensive to get your hands on. And not only was it expensive to get your hands on, but we know that it was unbelievably practical, that it helped people when they were sick. It helped people to heal when they had wounds. And even more, what I love about this little bottle is in the Jewish nation, and if you remember, Matthew, who's writing this story, is writing specifically to the Jewish people to tell them the story of Jesus. When he mentions frankincense, they would have an image in their mind. They would understand frankincense in a way that you and I do not understand. Because frankincense oil was used by the priests when they would go into the temple and they would pour this, this frankincense out and as it burned, it would continue to create this billow of smoke that would go up into the temple and it would fill the temple with this aroma and this visual that represented the prayers, the praises, and the cries of the people of Israel all going up together. This is why Biblical scholars believe and agree that frankincense represents the priestliness of Jesus. And today, that's what we're going to unpack, is we're going to talk about Jesus through frankincense, our high priest. And now, I know that some of you, you come from a background like me that, that doesn't involve uh, Catholicism or, or, you know, more high church, like a Lutheran church where priests are part of your gatherings. And so for us, it doesn't always make much sense. 
why would Jesus be called our high priest? And if we want to understand this amazing gift, we're going to have to understand Jesus a little more, right? Because the more we understand the person that the gift is for, the more we appreciate the gift that's given. And so we have to look here at Jesus as our high priest. Why does that matter and what does it even mean? So in true Crossbridge fashion, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our Bibles and for a couple minutes here, we are going to dive pretty deep. We're going to hit some passages that we've already talked about as a church this year, but they're really important to set up why frankincense is important. And if you're going to get a little bit lost, I understand. I'm going to do my best to walk us through this as deeply as I can and promise you that on the opposite side of what we talk about, while it might not make sense in the beginning, as we come to the end, I promise you, you will understand why frankincense is more than just an oil that we could use to feel better. You with me? We're going to have some fun in here today, but we're going to dive deep. So here's what we're going to do. In order to understand Jesus the high priest, Jesus the high priest, that's where we're going. The high priest in scripture, or the priests in scripture, from what we read in the Old Testament, they served one role, and that role was to represent the people to God. So as the relationship with God to people, the priest was this person in the middle, and they had two primary responsibilities. So one role but two responsibilities. And the first responsibility was that they made the sacrifices for, for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so they would do the sacrificing and they would be you know, killing animals to cover the sins of the people. And this is so that God would do that. The second thing that they did was that the priests prayed prayers on behalf of the people of God. So the people wouldn't necessarily be praying all the time. It would be the priest who would be praying. So it's one role, but two separate responsibilities that they had, representing God to the people, sacrificing, praying. Does that make sense so far? All right, cool. Now, for a second, I want to talk about these two functions and what they do and why they're important. And so we're going to see Jesus as our high priest, sacrifices, prayers. Let's talk about this sacrifice for sins really quick. Um, you know, when we go into the Garden of Eden, which would be in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, in chapter 3, we come across a major point and a major issue, and that is Adam and Eve sin. This is the moment everything in the Bible changes. At that moment, two things come into major conflict that have to be dealt with, and they simply are this, the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. The sinfulness of man and the holiness of God begin to clash in Genesis chapter 3. And I know when I say sinfulness, we live in a culture that doesn't always want to talk about sin. They actually are pretty adverse to saying things are sin, but if you're part of the Crossbridge family or you're sitting at a table with someone who's part of the Crossbridge family, you should know that we have no problem talking about sin in our church. We have no problem talking about it whatsoever because we simply believe that when we say sin, what we're re referencing is anything that we think we say we do that displeases God. Any way that we live or love that does not match up with the way Jesus would live or love, this is sin. Anything that falls outside of the way that Jesus would do something is sin. And the truth is, is that you and I are sinners, that no one can get through this life without sin. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is a great Christmas message, isn't it? You're sinners. Me too. 
And now in a culture that doesn't necessarily want to talk about sin, we have an issue because as we've talked about in our last series when we were going through confession is sometimes we have this ability to take sin pretty cavalier. It, 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 it really becomes no big deal. And I think in our culture, it works, it works itself in that way for two reasons. The first one is um, simply that, that we don't like being told that we've done something wrong and we can justify it, why it's not wrong. So we don't really, we feel pretty laissez-faire about sin because we don't want to be told we're wrong and it's easy to kind of justify it. Uh, think about it for a second. If you're going uh, somewhere and you're jumping on the highway, speed limit's 65, but everybody's doing 80, what speed will you do? I will confess as a sinner that I will be doing 80 miles an hour. And if I were pulled over by a policeman who has the right to pull me over for speeding, and he says, why were you doing 80? I would have the audacity to say, well, that's how fast everyone's going. And if everyone's going that fast, it's not really speeding, is it? Come on, you know you've made that excuse, just like I have. It's the flow of traffic. No, it's sin. It's disobeying a law that was set up, but we don't like that. So obviously, if everyone around us is doing something and we know that it's something that displeases God and we engage in it, this is sin, but we would say it's not really if everyone's doing it. No, it still is. And we have a major sin issue in our life as humanity. No one gets out of this. Romans 3 tells us that everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. And the second reason that I think it's, we become so cavalier about sin is not just because, well, everyone's doing it, we could justify it. It's simply because we don't understand the holiness of God. We don't understand the holiness of God. And until we understand God in all of his perfection and holiness, we will never recognize the tragedy of sin and how sin completely rips our lives apart because it becomes normalized because we have de-elevated who God is and his holiness. So for a second, let's just talk about the holiness of God. What does that even mean? God is holy. Well, in the Greek, if you look at the word holy as it's referenced in Scripture, it has this uh, connotation, this feeling of being separate. It's set aside. It means other. So what is God? God is transcendently separate. Our God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. He has no fault. There is nothing wrong. There's no stain in him. Our God is completely separate from all other things. Because they have sinned, he is perfect in who he is. He is separate. And so what we need to understand is that holiness is not just a characteristic or an attribute of God, one of the many things. We have to get that holiness is the perfection of all his attributes. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His power is holy. His glory is holy. In his holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his purity, that makes him, because of all of those things in his otherness, he is unlike any other. And because of that, we could stop and say, that's what makes you worthy 
of praise. That's what makes you different than anyone else is because there is no one like you. No one like you. Our God is so holy and the challenge for us is that we're not. We're as far from that as possible. We have all sinned and done something wrong. We've fallen short of God's standard and because of that, it breaks the intimacy that we have between us and between God. And this is why God hates sin. This is why he hates sin. Not because he wants to crash a party and say you shouldn't have any fun, you shouldn't do anything like that. No, no. he hates sin because it's everything that he is not. It's the opposite of his holiness. It disrupts our intimacy with him, his fellowship with us, and sin separates us from God and it breaks our life. It destroys our life. And therefore, God hates sin because it separates him from us and destroys who we are. And so before we start saying, well, God just tries to come down on me all the time and all the sin stuff, it's like, no, he wants what's best for us. He wants what's best, but we have this sin issue that separates us from him. The holiness of God, but the sinfulness of man. And since we're talking about priests and this high priest idea, when you look through the Old Testament, the priest's job once a year would be to go into this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. It was like a back room. And he would take the blood of an animal with him there and he would begin to sprinkle that blood over an altar, over this mercy seat. And, and it would be to pay for the penalties of the sins of the people. It was to cover their sins. It, it was known as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And the priest would go, and as he would begin to sacrifice all this stuff, he would take his frankincense, and he would pour the frankincense out, and it would billow up. The smoke would go. Do you remember that picture in the beginning? The smell would come across. The smoke would come up. And it was a visual representation in that moment of the cries and the prayers of the people of God to say, would you forgive me? Would you forgive our sin? And the priest would then take this innocent animal blood and he would sprinkle it all over and it would flame up those, the, the incense a little more. And so it's another round. This was the payment for the sins of the people. Have you ever heard the term scapegoat before? It actually comes from this type of, of idea in this passage where um, the priest would take a goat and he would uh, lay hands on this perfect goat and he would basically take all the sins and begin to confess sins and transfer them to the goat. And then what the people would do is to cast that goat out into the wilderness and to remove the goat. Sometimes they would push it into wilderness. Sometimes they'd run it off a cliff. Um, it's really weird things when you start to read the Bible. But what they would do is they were transferring their guilt, their shame, their sin to something innocent and sending it away, sending it out. Therefore, the small animal died as a sacrifice, symbolically covering the people. And if you're sitting here today and you're confused and you're grossed out, Listen, I just need to tell you something. I completely understand. This is disgusting. This is weird. And it's like, why, why, why would this happen? This is so unfair to have an innocent animal die for people's sins. Who would come up with a system like this? 
weird. Who would dream up something like this? And here's what you have to understand, is that because God is just, He must punish sin. Remember, in His holiness, He cannot be present. And if we want to be in a relationship with Him, we have to be without sin. We cannot accomplish that on our own. So because He's just, He has to punish sin. But He's also merciful. And so here's the beauty in what He does. The sacrifice satisfies God's justness. And at the same time, it allows Him to extend the mercy. It's the price that is paid, but but someone else pays the price for the people that received the mercy. Their sins are forgiven. I know it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right, but God's holiness, and in that moment, the justice is satisfied by the penalty being paid, and yet he extends his mercy to the people that he loves and calls his own. This is the system that's set up, and it was set up as a temporary covering under the Old Covenant. All the Old Testament that we've been reading recently as we soaked together, everything from here back, that's what it was set up on. But you and I don't live from here back, do we? We live in what we call a new covenant in the New Testament, and things have changed. And I want to tell you how this sacrifice works out with a high priest in a new covenant. So would you do me a favor and turn over to Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter 10. Hebrews will be more towards the right-hand side of your Bible. Go to the end, flip back a couple. And and Hebrews is this amazing letter that's written to a very educated Jewish culture that understood all the things of the Old Testament. They had this grounding in the Bible. In all of that Old Testament, the prophets, the system, the sacrifices, the priests, all the duties, everything that they had to do, They understood. And so the author begins to explain something to them that I believe you and I need to understand in a very deep and meaningful way. So let's just jump down in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we are going to pick it up in verse 9. It says this, starting in verse 9. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And then he, and he's talking about Jesus, said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our... Crossbridge... But our, what's the title that's used here in your Bible? What's the two words that are used? And they're, they're, they got capital letters. This is a title for a person. This is a title for a role. It's really important. And here in verse 12, it says, but our high priest, but our high priest, this is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, the author here sums up exactly what we just talked about, that there was a system in play where these priests, day after day, year after year, would present these sacrifices. He would burn all the frankincense and incense that a priest would smell like this all the time. 
And they would say, oh, this is for the forgiveness of sins. And what the author does is says, that had to happen, but we now have a high priest who is taking care of this system once and for all. That was the old covenant. Something new has happened. And what is new is that Jesus Christ simply said, I am here where God sent his only son that we are coming to celebrate right now. God incarnate, God in the flesh, being born to live a perfect life, to do what we could never do. And day after day as these priests had to go, it was never going to be a complete system. It was always temporary because an animal sacrifice could never cover what we needed for humanity. But Jesus could. But Jesus could. Jesus, our high priest, did what no other priest could do, and he gave his own perfect, sinless, spotless life in place of our sin. He allowed in a moment on the cross for all of our sin collectively past, present, future to be laid on him. And in that moment, he took on the sin of the world, the agony and the pain that comes with the sin in our life, the separation from God that comes, and he paid the price that you and I could never pay. It was paid, it was done, it was finished. This is what our high priest did. And not only did he enter in to that first part of being a priest, is to covering the sins of the people, being the sacrifice that we couldn't be, but we also said what was the other role of a priest? It was to sacrifice for the sins of people, but it was also to represent and to be prayer, to pray for the people. If you jump back from Hebrews 10 and we go back uh, six chapters into Hebrews 4, listen to what's said about our high priest. And this is right at the end of the chapter. So verses 14 to 16, it says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. How beautiful is this cross bridge that we are talking today about a gift of frankincense to represent a, the priestly nature of Jesus that you and I wouldn't know what to do if we were given this. And when our kids are born and they're like, here's frankincense, and we're like, thanks, it, it's, it smells good. I, I, I'll, I'll distill it or I'll you know, diffuse it. That's what we'll do. We would miss the beauty of this gift if we didn't understand that it was a representation of this high priest that we have, one who has given his life as a sacrifice for us to cover our sins. And then in Hebrews 4, we realize that there is one who prays for us, that there is one who not only prays for us, but in coming as a human, as living like us, he understands us, that there is nothing that we could deal with in our life that God's going to say... I don't know, man, that seems rough. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to, nah, sickness, death, no, I, I don't know. Do 
do you know one of the greatest gifts for you and me is that Jesus understands? That we serve a God, that we have a high priest who understands. Are you feeling anxious and stressed today? Maybe you're overwhelmed. Did you know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed stressed and anxious about what was coming. He was overwhelmed to the point of anxiety to where he did not know what to do and blood was streaming out of his pores because he was so stressed out about the cross and what was coming. Did you know that Jesus understands your anxiety? He understands your confusion. He understands your stressed outness. We're coming to Christmas. Do you have crazy people in your family? Did you know Jesus understands crazy people in his family? Did you know the moment that Jesus announced he was the Messiah, he was the crazy person in his family? That by taking a stance in his faith, he was ostracized by his family. Jesus understands what it's like to be pushed aside because of your faith, to be pushed out of your family because of who you are. When you think about how much Jesus understands, I'm telling you, you realize how much he cares. When you realize that he understands what you and I deal with, you realize that that he cares so much because he experienced what we experienced. I mean, we're reading a story about Jesus in Matthew. He's a kid born out of wedlock to teenage parents. And they lived in a small town. There's no way he didn't hear whispers about who he was. That's Jesus. It's Mary's bastard kid. Oh, he's crazy. Oh, don't. He was bullied. He was pushed aside. He lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. When he was at his weakest and most vulnerable moments, he was tested by the devil over and over and over. And in all of those situations, do you know what Christ did that we didn't? He never sinned. He never sinned in any of it. Did you know in a season of COVID, I I will tell you that I've done more funerals this year than I've done in my entire ministry combined. Jesus understands the loss of of a very close friend, what it means to lose a family member. He knows how to grieve. When he was accused of doing things he didn't do, he understands what that feels like. He understands what it's like to be betrayed. He understands what it feels like to be abandoned by God. I mean, think about it. When Jesus is on that cross, he felt like, even though he was not, he felt like he was abandoned by God. He hung on that cross as the scapegoat for you and for me, and all our sins are put on him. And in that moment, God, in his holiness, has to turn his face from his one and only son because of our sin that's laying on him. And he cries out on the cross and he says, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? If you find yourself in a place where you've been begging God and you feel like he's absent, can I tell you something? You have a high priest who understands you. 
He knows what that feels like. And I need to tell you that God has not forgotten you. He sees you. He understands you. And the greatest gift that you and I could ever have is not frankincense, myrrh, or gold. It is simply a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't know where you are today in your faith. But I simply want to tell you that if you do not know Jesus, 2020 has probably been even a more horrific year for you because there's nothing to hang hope on. There is no one who understands. There's no one that you could go to because everyone has let us down. If you know Jesus, you know that this is not true, that you could go to him with your frustration, go to him with your pain, go to him with your anxiety, go to him with your stress, go to him with your financial troubles, go to him with your pain, go to him with your schedules changing and all these things and you're saying, but I know you understand, but there's some of you watching right now that you don't understand because you don't know Jesus. I can't imagine a greater gift to give you than an opportunity to submit your life to the high priest, represented by frankincense, one who took on your sin and mine because of his deep love for us. This is the ultimate gift, Jesus. And so today, before we go any further and close out our time together, I'm simply gonna ask if you have not asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Savior, to be your high priest and dedicated your life to living, loving, and looking like him. Would you stop right now and would you just pray with me? Would you, would you just pray with me wherever you are, at your home, at a watch party, whatever it is, would you just pause for a moment and just pray with me? Heavenly Father, forgive my sins. Jesus, thank you for being my high priest, for dying in my place so that I could live. Thank you for caring. Thank you for praying. Thank you for new life. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. My life is not my own. I give it all to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you have prayed that prayer, I want to say welcome to the family of God. Welcome to a life like no other life. And if you've prayed that prayer, would you just send us a quick email at prayer at crossbridgecc.org so that we can help you take your next steps in your faith. Because we believe this is the best decision that you could ever make. And in a year that's been riddled with destruction, you have found salvation. You have found redemption. You have found the greatest gift that God has ever given to us. And while I know this is just oil, this is just supposed to be about frankincense today, isn't it? I I know it's really valuable. I, I know it's super practical. Mary and Joseph needed it. But it pointed to something so much greater for us, didn't it? I told you that As we approach Christmas, truly uh, knowing someone allows you to appreciate the gifts even more. And so, Crossbridge family, I want to close by simply asking you a question today. 
Have you spent time with Jesus in this season where you would know why a simple gift of oil would be so important? Have you spent time in prayer, meditation, silence, and solitude, and study, being with your high priest who truly understands you, who is not out to get you, but inviting you in to a relationship like no other? Or do you find yourself going 80 on the highway saying, well, everybody else is doing this and it just doesn't matter and God's inviting you to a different rhythm, a different pace, and saying, but I have something so much sweeter and more therapeutic for you. You want to hang out? Crossbridge. Go hang out with Jesus. That's what this season is all about. Family, I miss you. I love you. And I cannot wait to be with you soon, especially as we plan for Christmas Eve. I'll see you next week. We're so glad that you joined us this morning at Crossbridge Online. Coming up next at 11 a.m. is our CB Kids Experience. You can find the links plus ways to stay connected with us all throughout the week at crossbridgecc.org. Hey, Crossbridge. Maybe you're a little sad that this holidays doesn't look like you expect. Listen, I understand. And I know, Crossbridge family, one of the things that you do and I do is when you're getting ready for Sunday morning, you're all jammied up. You are ready for church. But this year, we're gonna be doing things a little bit different for Christmas Eve. I wanna thank you so much for letting us know what you think and you feel. And this Christmas Eve, we will be virtual December 24th at 7 p.m. right here, we will be streaming. And what we're going to ask is that instead of pajamas, instead of just sitting back, that you would join me and get in all sorts of dressed up, that you and your family need an excuse. And we talk at Crossbridge all the time about celebrating. Do me a favor, get out of your pajamas, suit up, dress up, do your hair, put your makeup on because we are going to have a service like you have never experienced before at Crossbridge. We know that there's cookies and all of these things that we normally like to have when we get together. So we have a surprise for you. And what we need to do is for everyone to register that you're coming to Crossbridge's Christmas Eve service. And when you do, more details are gonna come with what you need to get ready for this service because it is going to be amazing, engaging, and fun for the entire family. So Crossbridge, let's get rid of the pajamas. Let's put on the suits and dresses and let's have fun together. I cannot wait to see you Christmas Eve, 7 p.m.